Welcome back to NGFUs, everybody. Um, we got a latest global developments episode today. This one's going to be hacked as heck. But before we get started, just make sure to follow us on all of our social medias. For Twitter and TikTok, it's Instagram.news, or NGF.news, and then Instagram is NGF underscore news. But we got some good ones today. The first one we're going to talk about is all things oil. Japan buying more Russian oil, new petrol dollars, and OPEC's price increase. And then the next one we're going to discuss later on is BRICS, new common currency, question mark. Common currency, question mark. Yes. I like that one. <laughs> um, so it has been an insane few weeks in the news uh, about oil. It's like every time I open the news, there's just something about like oil every single time. Um, but we're going to start off with talking about um, Japan's surprising move to purchase Russian oil. Um, this is a, a pretty, it was pretty surprising. It was kind of out of, out of the blue. I'm not, I wasn't it's, aware of, well, they did yeah. make a, a statement. I think it was at the end of last year that they were interested in continuing to buy Russian oil, but I was still shocked at the fact that they still followed through with, with this move. Yeah. Um, so moving on. I'm particularly interested in this because as Europe reduced their reliance on Russian natural gas and crude oil, Japan ramped up purchases. Um, Chief uh, government spokesman uh, in Japan has openly stated that they will impose strict sanctions on Russia to stop the invasion, but are still buying oil regardless of the $60 cap. What are they buying it at? Is it at $70? $70. Jesus. Which is funny because um, oil is obviously their largest economic sector energy sector in general um natural gases which all come from the former Nord Stream pipeline which we found out the united states destroyed <laughs> but um it, it is fascinating and it's unfortunate because japan obviously is not a very resource rich country definitely not in the resources of energy in terms of natural gases yep. and oil so they had to They're, they were really kind of forced into a corner the g7 and the g20 countries they're most, for most part, are all pretty high, high natural resources or trade deals with nations that are not Russia um, that have those natural resources. So it's it's unfortunate, but they they they're back to do a corner. They had to. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, they rely on a lot of imports for oil, natural gas. So they didn't when when everything went down, they really didn't have much of a chance to to try to source oil somewhere else. I yeah. mean. If you were the United States, the sensible move would have been to help Japan as soon as this happened. But I guess we were too late. Oh, yeah. Too late on that one. Um, so, we'll get yeah. back to that one later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was going to look at the Sacklin 2 project. So the Sacklin 2 project is a oil digging project from the Russians um, right just northeast of Russia, where Japan buys most of their oil. So... There were two major companies in Japan that had a 22% stake, if I'm not mistaken, in this oil company. And when everything, when shit hit the fan, they really didn't have much of a choice. Mm. Because if they did, then that would have hurt not only their business, it would have hurt the Japanese economy, etc., etc. So I just wonder now, if the Germans were able to reduce 55% of their natural gas imports and completely cut off Russian oil... And the fact that they didn't have, like, they had to build reserves in the EU to last them the winter of the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023. I wonder if it's possible for Japan to do the same thing 
because if Germany did it, I'm, they're the fourth largest economy in Jap Japan is the third largest. I just wonder if Japan could do the same thing, maybe source it elsewhere or look to dig on their own. So that's kind of my big my big concern here with the Japanese right now. I'm it's an interesting point question. Because well the one thing that the Germans have over the Japanese is coal. So they can oh, yeah. they can they can switch to coal. Um if the Germans were smart, they would turn on their nuclear power plants again. But they destroyed them all. And they'd go back to coal. Um because they're you know heavily reliant also on, on the Russians um and other sources. I think the Japanese can go to other places. I think going to the Saudis first would have been probably a nice feeling a little bit better if they did that instead of trying would, to go to the, the Russians yeah. first, maybe. They would have to compete with the Chinese, though, because yeah. the Saudis are yeah, trying I mean, to they're, get they're their... Yeah, they're getting buddy-buddy. <laughs> playing buddy-buddy, I like that one. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's really tough on Japan as an island nation. That's the biggest thing because moving oil over waters is not easy because there's so many restrictions. There's so many things that can go wrong or like a wave hits, you know, lightning strikes in the sea. It can cause some things that aren't, you know, particularly well, you know, explosions right. or whatever. So it is pretty difficult and it'll take longer um, than train. Or flying. So, I don't know. I think the biggest thing for, for Germany is they have the backup. They can go straight back to where they were. If it gets down to a really, 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 like, dire situation. Um, but Japan can't do that. They, they, they're they in dire situation they right are, now. Yeah. I just wish that Western countries were able to try to figure out to work something with Japan. They did work out on this by saying you can buy a, a limited supply i think that was an agreement they made with g7 in australia because when, the time that they wrote this uh that they made these sanctions they were like okay we understand you have a reliance and there's a cap on how many you can buy mm -hmm. just in case you can't keep up with um the necessary supplies to keep your energy sector going yeah so they kind of purposely left that um loophole i guess in this agreement because i think they they for they forecasted not forecast what's the word foreshadowed foreshadowed yeah foreshadowed that japan might have a problem and if they foreshadow this i just don't understand why they didn't just take action the moment they foreshadowed it to ensure that this would have never been a problem well i so, mean it's like the rest of the things that we're going to discuss right now i mean just not to go too off topic because they all relate, but to go to the Saudi Arabia joining the Shanghai Cooperation um, Shanghai I have it written down Shanghai Cooperation um, Agreements or organization. China obviously we've known this for a long time since 2014. They've wanted to buy oil in the one, and now this is the closest we're going to get. We've ever gotten to it because they are now in SCO. I mean, Saudi Arabia isn't a full member; they're a observer state, I believe. But they're in it, and so this is the this is where the talks are going to start getting really, really advanced because they just brokered the Iran and Saudi Arabia deal. Now they're going to be friends because I mean they just created peace in the Middle East. Let's be completely honest. Outside of Israel. I mean, they don't even consider Israel a Middle Eastern country, most of them. They basically just brokered peace. And then we go into the 
rising prices of OPEC. You're telling me the United States couldn't have seen this, forecasted that one day this is all going to happen? I mean, I mean, I guess the Shanghai one, we we could have sat there and said, okay, that's probably you know something we couldn't have seen. But in this time of crisis, we couldn't see Japan going in trouble or OPEC raising prices to level out the playing field. Come on. Let's right be real here. It was all right there. It's all right there. And we're just like, well, let's not do anything about it. Let's just hope for the best and that it doesn't happen. That's kind of what we banked on. I mean, if anyone wants to tell me otherwise, then go ahead. But we really started the Willow Project, for example. Of course, that has its benefits and consequences way too late. If we had started the Willow Project earlier on, then we could have prevented OPEC's surprise price increase. Well, they'll still have done it, but what my what I meant by prevent is prevent the shocks from occurring. So we're going to see, what did you say? You said before this recording that we're going to see a 50 cent increase. In- yeah, uh, the oil prices um, expect by the summer to hit $100 a barrel and could increase gasoline by 50 cents in the United States. So it's probably going to be much worse in Europe. Yeah. Um, considering... <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, this. It's yeah, it's. it's I, I, you know, I don't know what to say because we I, we could have we could have done something about this before, yeah. but um, we'll see what the Japanese do and see how much they buy. I don't think they're gonna buy a lot because of the what G seven allows them to, and I hope this is a wake up call for G seven uh, countries to say, okay, Russia really has a stronghold on Japan, and we can't let that happen. Um, we need to do something about it. Yeah. Except. So, here's a crazy thing. So, the United States, under President Trump, when we were an oil exporting country, meaning we actually made money off of it, not just the companies, the United States would be able to export it, produced 9.4 million barrels per day. 9.4, 9.4, how much? Million Jeez. barrels or per day. Hold on, let me just make, let me make sure that's true. I think it's per day or it's per year. But that I think per day makes more sense. Um, what it said for the Saudis. The Saudis produce 31.4 million barrels per day. Um, that's, that's OPEC, I think, in general as well. That's a lot. A lot of oil. And the fact is, the United States... Even though it can't produce as much as those OPEC countries, we still didn't have the Keystone Pipeline done at that time, which would have added 900,000 barrels a day. We didn't have the Alaskan project that Biden was working on. I don't know how much that could produce, but I'm going to assume a lot. That's a long-term project. they They don't see the benefits of it until a few years later But when it starts. But the great thing about Oil prices are futures, so they focus on the, like the futures and how they can lower the prices of gasoline, specifically mostly in the United States and then outwards. So yes, okay, let, let's hypothetically say we could get to 11 million barrels per day. That is one third of the barrels that OPEC produces. And yet we're, all, we're on our own too. We're on our own. So we can... Help out other countries that need it. Japan, Europe, and I mean, let's say Europe goes back to their oil digging. 
in the, you know, wherever they dug it. I'm not sure, because most of them were mostly natural gases and coal, I believe. It was natural gas and coal, yeah. mostly. Yeah, so let's say they go back to that. I mean, that changes the game, too, because then we don't need Russia. We don't need OPEC. And we can create more alliances in Africa, which we have a lot of really good relationships with the OPEC countries in Africa. So they would probably give us some things that are outside of OPEC uh, if we were to give them some kind of economic incentive. United States needs to get involved. That's all I'm saying. We yep. need to take the initiative and say, okay, OPEC, you want to do this. Saudi Arabia, you want to make friends with the Chinese. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do our own oil. First off, we're not going to need you because we're going to produce enough. Second off, we can at least produce for our allies. Where does that leave you? With China and China only. Because your allies are all OPEC nations. They don't need you. So direct, direct, straight to the point. Yeah, tell it straight to them. And guess that, what? You don't know how much friend, more friendlier they're going to be. Oh, God, <laughs> money talks. So it's oil talks. Oil is money. It's it's the only thing now because we got rid of the gold standard in most countries that backs the dollar. In outside of the United States, of course. Here we don't have anything. <laughs> we got nothing. I think we banged on all of the. Uh... Also, Japan, unless you have anything else to add, because I really want to go into the petrol dollars being challenged. Oh, yeah, that's right. Petrol dollars. Go ahead. Talk about that. Yeah. All right. So uh, moving on to more recent developments on the U.S. dollar, well, petrol dollars. Um, the yuan right now is the most traded currency in Russia, and Saudi Arabia is looking to shift to selling oil in yuan. Yuan? Yuan? Yuan, yeah. Yuan, and not dollars. Um, I just want to start off by saying that this makes absolutely no sense. For the Saudis to do this, because the Saudi real, which is the Saudi currency, is pegged to the U.S. dollars, meaning that if the Saudis want to sell oil and yuan and not dollars, it'll be the beginning of the end for petrol dollars, but it'll also lower the value, hypothetically speaking, of the U.S. dollar, which then in turn lowers the value of the real. And if the real is weaker against the yuan, it'll hurt their purchasing power to buy goods, to buy Chinese goods. So if the Saudis want to go ahead with this. They hurt their own currency. It'll also hurt our currency a little bit because it's pegged. And they're just going to shoot themselves in the foot for it because they no longer want the U.S. to to rely on the U.S. Yeah. And they don't want their support. So they're going to risk a long-term partnership for some Chinese BS. Oh, it's... The, 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 sorry. It, this is like... Ah. Um, I, I don't know what they're doing, but between the Chinese and the Russians, exchanging an oil and yuan wasn't a strategic move uh, to put the hurt on U.S. dollars. Uh, with the fear of the banking crisis, the dollar has been put on the spotlight, and it's for them to to do to do all their businesses one in one. It it, it kind of makes sense. I think that 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 was expected to happen anyways. But I'm just. I'm just shocked at the fact that the Saudis think they could do that in yuan as well. Because yeah. the yuan is one of the most volatile and untradable currencies out there. It is. And the Russians are going to find that out too. How hard it is to work with the Chinese yuan. Because they don't know where the money is. <laughs> so I, I mean, like, how, how can they have just lent out over a trillion dollars to these Belt and Road Initiative countries? Half of them fail. Twenty countries fail, and somehow they pull two hundred and forty billion dollars out of nowhere, thin air, magic. Do you know what those two hundred forty billion is? 
they're all they're all loans in dollars. They're not in want. Exactly. They're in dollars. It's because they have to. Here's a statistic from the Barron's Institute. I think that's what it's called. 88% of currency trades in the market are in U.S. dollar, which is only 2% down from 1989. That was 34 years ago. And it's only gone down 2%. That means, and I'm going to assume the share has gone down that 2%. I'm going to assume it's between the Chinese, the Germans, and the Japanese that take over that 2% share. Not even all the Chinese. Um, I, I would estimate at least 1% and then the other, the other 1% split. But 88%, you're going to do that. You're going to screw with 88% of the world economy. Good luck. You can just tank it. You just, <laughs> just say you want to tank the world. That's all you want to say. Um, I don't think the Saudis personally are 100% on board. I think they're kind of just in a stage where they just want to get the United States to negotiate a little bit more. Saudi prince the other day stated that he's done with doing favors for Washington, and he wants something in return. And I'm going to be completely honest with him. I agree. For two things, making friends with the Saudis, not a bad thing. It'll, it'll help out with the oil and situation that's going on. In the energy situation, and two, if we create a good friend in the Middle East, um, China is gonna—they're gonna lose a big share of the oil market again. Right. So, I don't think they're really a hundred percent on board. I just think they're gonna negotiate with the Chinese and trying to tell Washington, like, "Hey, hey, hey, we're we're moving away. Can you please come talk to us? You know, please." Without I saying see. it, you know? Yeah, that's actually a good way of putting it. Yeah. So they want to purposely put the pressure on the Americans to see if they can get something. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. I was just more thinking of that the Saudis were completely done with, not completely done, but like are just fed up with the way the U.S. has been treating them. And they're trying to look for partners. That's how I looked at it when I was reading up on all this. Yeah. But I, I don't think it'd be strategic for them to look for partners, yeah. for other partners because of... I would agree they're looking for partners. I just don't think they're going to look for partners like like Chinese to replace the dollar. I don't think they're going to do that. I think to or, or replace their purchases with one. Um, I think it's, you know, they have every right to go look for partners. We can't tell them they can't, they can't look at China. I mean, how much business do we do with China? And you're going to tell us that we can't do that? Like, all right. Um, it's okay to look for partners, and they're going to. But just not use the the one. Yeah, it, it's they're, and they're not going. I, I think they're smart enough to not like actually go through with it. I think they're just trying to make friends, and they're gonna have some long negotiations, and then come back and tell them and say, "Hey, you know, statistically here, I mean, they're probably not gonna bring up statistics, but they're probably gonna say, hey, here, you know, they control eighty percent of the eighty-eight percent of the worlds. If you can prove that you're." Dollar, your one, your currency is stable, which I can't at the moment. We'll consider in the future, but right now, you know, we can't do it. Interesting. It also, when I was reading, I was like, what if the world goes into a sort of system where it's a like multipolar currency system, where now you're going to have competition of the currency rather than competition of who can trade the most? Because what if the world wants to leverage who's stronger currency? I mean, they already do, technically speaking. But what if they use it in a more direct way where I have the stronger currency, we should trade in my dollars? 
Yeah. Well, what if this is the beginning of like some currency conflict? It could be. It could be. And I, I made a mistake, actually. 1989 was a couple years before the euro was made. So that 2%, um, I actually would go back and retract my statement, is probably mostly the euro. Yeah. Growing over the yuan. Um, the yuan's definitely the second best. Look, the, the Europe, Europe's trying. The, the, the euro tried a lot to give that kind of competition. It's not going to work. It didn't work. And in my opinion, it can't work until, first off, it becomes, the euro is the most stable, second most stable currency in the world. Right. And it still struggles to buy things, like to buy oil. It's still going to be done in US dollars. To have competition, China needs to stabilize its currency. They also would need another one because the euro is not big enough. They would probably need... You're saying that the Chinese need another form of currency? No, no, no. I'm saying there needs another one to come in to push the... Oh, to push you're talking about like in, in general around the world, yeah. there needs to be another currency to create that competition. I would say there would need okay. to be at least five or six currencies for the US dollar to even... It's like for it to even be a battle because 88% of the currency's trades are in the dollar. We have a $25 trillion economy, which is... Eight trillion dollars bigger than China, which is bigger than the next three two countries combined: Germany and Japan. That difference. Um, yeah. Well, this is basically shows that the U.S. dollar isn't going anywhere anytime soon. At in all. our lifetime, no way. No, not in our lifetime. Not in our children's Life, lifetime. Yeah. Not in our, the the U.S. dollar is unbelievably strong compared to the yuan. The yuan is just not friendly to conversion. Um, and China's policy towards foreign exchange has been artificially managed and not transparent with the world, as you said before. I also want to talk about the IMF. <laughs> the dollar is the most powerful uh, piece of the special drawing rights, mm -hmm. which is a reserve currency made by the IMF, um, for those who don't know, to essentially kind of like, it's like a loan in a certain currency. Yeah. It's like a reserve currency to purchase things in case your currency in a country has an issue. And the weight of this is 43.38% of that SDRs in dollars. And the yuan holds only 12% of it. Really? The weight. Because you know what's crazy? That, this statistic shows that the reserve at the, at the beginning of February is 2.2%. I believe. I think I read it on the IMF's website. Yeah. If that it was. Maybe I'm not it, sure. I don't know exactly. This is the one share of international reserves is about 2.75 in 2022. It's probably just the reserve, but the actual special drawing rate. Oh, special and drawing rate, yeah. And what's the composition is that 12%. the one is 12% of the composition of the SDR. So, mm -hmm. well, so when the, let's say a country's in trouble and they need special drawing rights, they're basically buying or getting dollars. Yeah. Is what they're getting pretty much. The second, uh, second is the euro, which is holding. 29% of that weight. And then the one, and then forgot the two other currencies, but. Yeah, and probably. I believe so. Yeah. But it just comes to show that or even if you're in trouble, you're US dollars are the way that you're going to be saved because of how tradable it is and how friendly it is to the world compared to the one. And yeah. with the, as you said before, the Belt and Road Initiative, 
um, started out with Wong loans, but then switched to dollars because it shows that it shows the cracks in the wand. It's just not a tradable currency. No, and it's not easy to work with, especially when it comes to trading oil, and you need to do it consistently. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how the Russians yeah. react to when they find out how terrible the wand is. But. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, this right here, like you said, is they're they have twelve percent of drawing rights, but they have. Since February 2023, they have 2%, 2 2.2% of the international reserves Hmm. in the world. Hmm. I mean, that is, that's so low. (laughs) That's so low. Like, you can't consider yourself to try and purchase the most valuable asset on planet Earth, which is maybe the, maybe it's definitely top two oil and have only 2% of the world's reserve currency. Like the Saudis are negotiating with you, sure, but behind closed doors, they're probably laughing because you can't you can't have that little reserve and expect them to trust that you can purchase the amount of oil that they want to purchase. Which I believe they were purchasing like nine hundred thousand barrels per day was an agreement they're looking for. That's a lot, and in one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say yeah. for this one. I want to wrap it up with OPEC's surprise increase. Yeah, let's go. If you want to. Yeah, okay. So uh, there was a surprise increase a few days ago, and then OPEC had released a statement saying that they're going to cut back on output because of, air quote, precautionary measures aimed to support stability of the oil market, end quote. Um, it's not very clear to why they came out with this randomly. Um, I did a bunch of research and tried to piece together on why. And I'm just looking at a graphic right now where it's showing that oil prices have been going down since the Russia uh, invasion of Ukraine. A cost per barrel was $125. And as of April 3, it was $85. So I think what they're trying to do is that they're trying to cut back on output so that they can jack up the prices because they're losing out. Um, another thing is countries are also finding ways to be more self-sufficient. So they're, the world is reducing their reliance on OPEC oil. They're like, okay, well, we need to jack up the prices on whatever consumers we do have so we can make money because countries are moving away from our oil, which makes no sense because if your supply is, if you have high supply, your cost technically would have to be lower. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is the actual strategy, but I think this is what they're going for. And also um, lower consumer spending because of rising interest rates. People don't go out. Manufacturing is down. Jobs are being cut. So I, I think these these are what the three are. It hasn't been exactly clear on why this surprise cut came. It's just it was just again a quote unquote precautionary measure from OPEC. But every different source says something else. So it's not really clear exactly yeah. why OPEC tried to. Well. OPEC's never been transparent, um, so I think we we know that they're just here to profit. Um, when they were created, they knew they had the monopoly. They know that they can control the price. Um, I'm sure there's strategy to it for them because, obviously, the reliance on oil in this economy is going to slow down because people, like you said, are not going out, you know, economic hardships. You know, cars aren't going to be on the roads as much. People aren't going to be flying. Yada yada yada. The other thing is, 
I mean, yeah, they just, they just want money. They want to get those profits up because of the, all that stuff. So they have to raise prices. Um, as of March 3rd, oil prices rose in the U.S. by 6% since then. Um, and this doesn't include the highest, the, the price hike, which happens, what was it, April 4th? April 3rd? Something like that? Something in the past three days. Yeah. Um, oil could hit this summer, like I said earlier, $100 a barrel, which would increase gasoline price in the United States by 50 cents per gallon. I don't even want to know how much that's going to be in Europe per liter. Probably tons. So, I mean, let's... I think we can go back and look on all these things. What is it that the United States should do? I'll tell you what we should do. <laughs> we should dig for oil. So should the Canadians. So should the Mexicans. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now that the world is out against the West. The rest is out against the West. And it's being led by the Chinese and the Russians. And Let's hypothetically even say that the rest outside of the Chinese and the Russians, and by the rest I mean the global south, um, no one else wants to go with the Chinese and the Russians. That's still a formidable power, and OPEC still controls 99% of the market, almost. I'm going to say 90 plus just because I'm not completely sure. The United States is going to be left alone, and so is Europe, and so is Canada. And so is Latin America, for that matter, because just nobody, for some reason, nobody cares about Latin America besides the Chinese. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, yes. Digging is the only way for the foreseeable future. Natural gases, coal, are the only things for the foreseeable future that are going to get us out of this rut. I agree, and as much as people debate on this new Willow project, I think it'll be the next solution temporarily, of mm -hmm. course. To reduce our reliance and then hopefully use the profits that come out of the Willow project to support more green projects. Because what OPEC is doing is they're, and this was on our last week's topic of the week, is that they're using oil and they're making their profits and they're using their profits to put green tech into the economy yep. so that not only they'll have a reliance using oil, but now they want to use reliance as a way, a reliance through green tech to also charge the world as well. Mm -hmm. So, I think we can jump the gun on this before the before OPEC does this. And we need to do it quick. And one of our benefits as um the West is innovation. We are we have insane amount of smart people. We innovate quick. We have the best technology. We can make this happen and we can create more green projects and charge and power the world grid. Mm -hmm. As long as, as long as we ha continue digging for oil to fund all these new initiatives. So I think the oil project won't be enough. We need to find other ways to find oil. And of course, this has its economic consequences. It'll degrade air quality, the chance for spills, leaks. Um, but what choice do we have? I mean, just OPEC is doing it. The rest of the world wants oil and natural gas. The, oil, the, the world is not ready yet for green tech. And no country right now is really focused on green technology besides the private sector. So yeah. I think the public sector should focus on getting the oil and the private sector should focus on the green tech. Agreed. And we should stick to that path for the next few years. 
and I, I hope, and I probably can guarantee that this would be the best outcome. Because right now, yes, the Chinese are going to challenge us. They see this time of economic hardship, and they see that the U.S. has a big dependency on oil, and they're going to use it against us. They're going to use all the economic crisis going on to challenge the dollar. But we need to plan something low-key, and we need to stick to it so that in the next five to ten years, we can stick it to the Chinese. Yeah. I've said it once. I've said it, and I'll say it again. We sit on one estimated one trillion dollars worth of oil in the United States alone. I imagine North America, with concluding Canada and Mexico, probably sit, I'm going to say three, four, so many trillions of dollars of oil. And the one thing I think that especially the United States has over the rest of the world, like you said, is innovation. Innovation, consumerism, free thinking, you know, open ideas. That's why, you know, I personally believe that no matter what people do, at least in the foreseeable future, and as long as we don't self-destruct from the inside, you can't take us down from the outside because we're, even though we're free thinkers and we can butt heads, we'll always come together. We'll always fight together, you know, liberal or conservative. And we've seen that multiple times in times of hardship where things happen, we come together as a society. So this is the time. This is the time. We got to stick it. And we got to stick it out and go through it. Quick. Yeah, so exactly. If this can't be like where we build the oil digging site, but it takes five years. We need we need a, like an international cooperation to bring in mines from all over the world to start building up these mines and make it quick. So that yeah. that's what I also want to preach is international cooperation. Mm. We live in a time where our partners are needed more than ever, and we can't just do everything by ourselves. We need to promote this internationally. So it'll be tough though because of the uh the climate um activists of course Europe are huge and they they have a fair reason to and they should be worried. I believe that it's important that we do have these concerns as well. Agreed. But we also live in a time where other concerns like how we're going to heat ourselves, how we're going to power the economy kind of trumps over environment and plus with the money we can make from oil. We can find ways to rebuild land. We can find ways to promote climate, um, to promote climate, uh, to promote climate friendly, friendly. That's the word I'm looking for. Jesus Christ. Climate friendly initiatives to reverse everything we did. So if you look at, if anyone knows about the environmental Kuznets curve, where it's like, it, it shows a time over environment like fear index mm-hmm. what is it called i just think it's fear index yeah yeah so from people are more concerned about the environment the moment a country has fully developed and the kuznets curve the past after a country is considered fully developed shows that environment is then top priority mm-hmm. so it raises the question of whether or not are we actually there yet to think about that switch from wanting oil to wanting to develop to then switch to thinking about the environment. And in my opinion, I don't think we've arrived to a point where we can say, okay, we can fully switch our shift from dealing with international economic problems to then thinking about the environment as a whole and making that the next five to 10 years as an international community. Mm 
So we could definitely create the plans now, but we're not ready to shift. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Well, we got one more. Um, after that long conversation, <laughs> which which it's another big one to be honest. That's not in the news, and I don't like it. BRICS new common currency. Um. So at the South African summit in Durban, this. Summer, August, they're looking to discuss ways to produce a new common currency, something similar to like the euro. For example, um, they're saying that potential thip backers could be gold and other assets. I would say, considering the BRICS nations, probably oil would be one. Um, and they're looking to use this starting domestically and then moving to digitally. Digitally, I don't like. Domestically, you know, whatever. I just don't like the digital part. Really? I don't like digital currencies because it gives the power to the government to control. I mean, they also cyber as well. Yeah, they, yeah. When you, I guess that's fair because they also, I mean, they kind of control the outcome of not, mm, I think it depends per government. Yeah. Um, what currency they control because yeah. you'll have governments like Chinese that fully control the one. We have more of the U.S. dollar, where it's kind of based on like just trust and demand, supply and demand of yeah. American goods. So you also have that. Um, the goal of BRICS is to essentially try to dethrone the U.S. dollar. So that that's the reason why they're making this new currency. And I think it has support from Russia, it has support from Brazil, um, and South Africa. China is kind of iffy on this one. Mm-hmm. They're still iffy, iffy, and I think India is also. If he, if he on this one as well. Um, the goal of the new currency is also to have it backed by gold and other metals. So the Russians are building up gold reserves. What other countries in BRICS are building up gold I'm reserves? I'm not sure exactly, but, but the, I know the Rus- the Chinese have been doing that for yep. decades. So they're trying to have it backed by something. Um, but this new currency is still at a very, very, very early stage. And it has a lot of work in order to even become a reality to compete with the dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, and other and other more powerful currencies out there. So, you know, again, I think we're gonna when we talk about are we feared that this is going to come out and dethrone America? Um, not in our lifetime. But my biggest concern, first off, is that it's not in the news. It should be headlines. There should be headlines. Like, this is not... It's major. This, right. Yeah. The creation of new currency? Like, come on. That's... This should be, like, everywhere. Yeah, You're right. It should be everywhere. And the second thing is, like like we said before, um, this is a time to get together to combat the United States. And look, I am not against people making common currencies. We did a whole episode on how good... Argentina and Brazil's potential common currency in the future of the SIR would be incredibly beneficial to them. I'm not against it. I'm sure you're not. Um, so BRICS, but the thing I'm against is that they are not out to just create something. They are out to take us down. And we're just watching. It's no I mean, Hypothetically, we can... It raises a question on, they go ahead and make this currency. What can we do about it? They're going to go ahead and do it. What we can do is we can just make our dollar stronger by encouraging more supply and demand of the dollar through 
innovation through technology through using like so they want to use gold and precious metals to back their currency why don't we back our currency instead of just relying on trust with technology and innovation you want you want to buy american stuff we need to innovate to make our dollar stronger and encourage investors to pour their money into the united states markets essentially so that's the best thing we can do but i don't think BRICS common currency is going to be a reality Mm -mm. not even like in our future generations timeline this is because china is currently too influential and trying to create a common currency with a country like china when you have a country like brazil and south africa who still need to develop economically to even support the ability to encourage investors to come into their countries and pay for stuff in this BRICS new common currency when they're just like well the dollar is stronger and i feel more confident my investment will do better in dollars i'm not sure if i can trust your common currency just yet and especially for the russians too where the ruble is just like (laughs) not there yeah so i don't know if there'll be enough demand to hold a, a new BRICS currency um and until then there's a possible chance that the chinese will want to peg it to the one for control because the chinese are so controlling um what i see it as though instead of any type of currency is i think it'll be a special drawing right in my opinion mm. which it'll be a reserve currency powered by BRICS countries to mitigate economic shocks so instead of using special drawing rights to mitigate economic shocks they'll encourage the use of a BRICS currency as a way to like okay we'll help you out our our special drawing right is better than the IMS special drawing right Interesting. so that's how i see it as but i'm not again I, I it could be i can't predict the future they do want to go ahead with one common currency yeah which i think is a fantastic idea yeah it, like i'm like, not saying it's a terrible idea no and it, it would be a good way to challenge the rest of the world but it also raises the question of whether or not mm-hmm. it actually become reality mm-hmm. because these countries still have to develop a lot more yeah, they they just want to, you know, I think their biggest thing is they just want to shock the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar has been dominant since, you know, 1914 pre or or 1918, sorry, post-World War One. We've been the dominant, you know, currency. We passed up the, the pound sterling a long time ago. But um, the Chinese, I don't think, are going to be on this because they want full control. Yeah. I mean, like, I think India in the next 20 years is going to face China. In terms of economic growth, because right. of they're they're just producing people out of the out of nowhere, so um that will definitely cause tension. If they it, let's say it just goes through in the next twenty years, um that'll cause a lot of tension between the two because they'll want full control. Yeah. Um, which is exactly why the United States doesn't even try to get itself involved in stuff like that because they will want full control. Unfortunately, that's unfortunately. Um, because I would love to see that, but the um, for India too, the the their relationship with the Chinese is not very good, right. so that will cause a lot of issues as well. Um, and Brazil is unstable, China's too unstable, Russia, uh, they're I mean they're Russia, we know what's going to happen to them, <laughs> and then the South Africans aren't big enough. Uh, their economy is not big enough. They're the 
I'm gonna. I want to say the second biggest cut, like UDP in Africa, but still not big enough comparatively to Brazil, India, Russia, and the Chinese. Unless they, there's a point in time where investments in South Africa and Brazil skyrocket, then they would probably have the backing of private sector to create this new BRICS currency. But until that happens. I don't know. Brazil is also completely crime-ridden. I mean, oh, that, yeah. that place is yep. not just politically unstable as of recently, but I mean, you talk. We were talking about Mexico becoming a military state. Brazil is a military state, like, and um, they're they're always fighting crime, twenty-four-seven. Um, and Latin America is not some place that's stable as of yet. Um, I wish we would try to stabilize them because they have so much potential and you know great people that deserve to live like the rest of the world does. Same with Africa. Um, so it, it, it will be a long shot. It, it truly would be because I, I would say pre-2008, and let's say the financial crisis in 2008 never happened, COVID never happens. This is realistic because then South Africa doesn't slow, China doesn't collapse, and Brazil doesn't slow down. And they keep going. But that happens. So did COVID. I mean, China's economy is in complete, is about to be complete dust. Like, their real estate market is completely overinflated. And no one knows where the money is. Yeah. <laughs> no where the money is. Where is it going? That, that, that's my biggest problem with the Chinese is, you know, people are like, they got the biggest purchasing power parity. Where? Show me their. Price. Where's the money? Where's the balance sheet? Because there is just, there's just no way they have been able to bail out two hundred forty billion dollars to these countries um, who are who have failed in the or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, bank went bankrupt in the Belt and Road Initiative. Defaulted. That's the correct word. Yep. Defaulted on the ones. That's just, I, I don't know. It's not possible. The United States, even if you looked at the United States and saw that figure, you'd be like, no, questionable, right? Where'd you get $240 billion from? Oh, no. It just happened to be there. Yeah, like, I, I question things we do sometimes, like when we just put in the um, $6.7 trillion budget that didn't get approved yet. But I was I was sitting there like, where did you get those figures, Joe? And then the rest of his committee, like, where did they get that? <laughs> it's a lot of money. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll see where it goes. Yeah. A lot of time. August will be a big one. That'd be fun It will see. be. It'll be impressive to see if they actually make any progress with it, too. Yeah. They're, they're going to hold some sort of meeting, I think, over it. If I'm not mistaken. I know Russia is very interested in this. Mm -hmm. I think they've expressed their it. interest in it. And I'm I think they have a meeting with South Africa sometime in August. Is that what you were referring? To? Yeah, that's that's the Durban oh, okay, that's yeah. the Durban BRICS conference. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So the the main thing is going to be the BRICS common currency. Yeah. Well, BRICS in general, and then the common currency. So we'll see what happens. Also, it'll be interesting. Putin will be in an IMF, um, uh, ICJ or ICC country after um, he just got his warrant arrest. We'll see how that goes. see how that goes. <laughs> that's going to be interesting. So to funny. See as well. We will gladly. Beyond this, like as soon as at Hawks, yeah, in August you'll see posts every every second. I can go awesome. on and on whether or not South Africa could arrest Putin or not in August. We'll see. We'll see what they can do. We'll see what they'll do. Yeah, I know.
But other than that, I don't think I have anything else for this episode. Yeah. It was a lengthy one, loaded with a bunch of all things oil. Um, there was just a lot of things happened in one week, which was craziness. I, I I don't think this much happened in one week since Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah, I I, I don't remember one thing where it's just like in terms of shifts from the west too. Yeah. Like this is huge. Um, the world is, I guess. Or let's say the Chinese and the rest of their allies are a little sick and tired. It almost, it almost feels like they're going quick. It almost feels like they're being spring. They are because they're it, collapsing. And it's like they they're trying to instill fear with all these different projects and initiatives. And it's just amazing how desperate they're becoming now. I think the world, and especially Europe, is sitting there in fear in the United States just like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are funny, good luck. Yep. I mean, when you control 88% of the world's financial transactions, they're just sitting there like, whatever, I'm just going to dust it off my shoulder for a second. Oh. Give it a try. Yeah. But other than that, I'm all good. Yeah, that's everything. Uh, thank you guys. For listening this week, this has been this was a fun one. It was a long one. Um, again, we always um, put put out there. Do your research. You know, do your own research. Anything you miss or anything we might have missed, you know, let us know. It'd be fun. Give us Absolutely. topic ideas. And leave on Spotify. You can just leave like reviews and yeah, you can yeah yeah. So please leave us reviews, comments on our posts, comments on our posts, questions, topics you want to see. Give us everything. We'll yeah. we'll do it. Exactly. We'll do it. Yeah, we're we're here to. Talk about what anything and everything. So, yeah. All right. Have a good one, y'all.